This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Help me out here, buddy. What do you got? What do you want to talk about? What's going on with you? What's going on in the world? How do you feel about the election cycle? Am I right? 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 You know what's the problem with politics? It's politicians. Oh, what's the opposite of progress? Am I right? It's Congress. Who brought an air horn to this comedy club? I got a silly string, too. They have tried to confiscated from me and i am up in the rafters i will not let them take it <laughs> welcome to overdue this is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew and what i was with you until you were up in the rafters is that a <laughs> well because because i climbed up there and you're still down on the table <laughs> that's it. why on this show, we build a wall between us and ignorance by <laughs> reading a different book every week and then talking about it. Oh, getting political again. Sorry. We do often know less about a thing than when we came in by yeah, the end of the somehow. show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's. I would say that's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna send all of my knowledge back where it came from. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No knowledge allowed in here. <laughs> Make Craig dumb again. That's how it goes. Again? Well. Craig, what did you read this week? <laughs> I read a book called The Door by Magda Zabo, who is a celebrated Hungarian author um, who died in 2007, I think. Yep. She was born in 19, let me guess, 17. 17. I got it. And <laughs> yep, you nailed that one. Uh, this book was published in 1987, translated into English, I believe, by a guy named Len Reeks or Len mm-hmm. Ricks. Um, let's say Ricks. Let's say Len, Ricks. Len Ricks is an unkind <laughs> is an unkind name. Yeah, translated into English for Americans in 1995, and then later for the British. But yeah, the the one of the things about. Um, Zabo's work is that a good pronunciation? Is that good? That's what we're going with. Okay, um, is that not a lot of it has been published into English? Like certainly some of it, including the door. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a movie of the door made in 2012. Whoa, who so, was in yeah. it? I don't know. Oh man, I just know that <laughs> I just know that it was made. Because spoiler alert, like it was a Hungarian. Movie, okay, so okay, because yeah. I will say like we'll, we're going to talk about Magda for a couple more minutes. We're going to talk about Hungary for a little bit. I asked Andrew to do a little research for me, uh, mm-hmm. but the like prevailing vibe of this book is a thing that would win. Um, who's the greatest living actress alive? What's her name? Uh, Meryl Streep. Yeah, it would win Meryl Streep an Oscar. Like that. Okay. That is the kind of story that this is. You would have to work pretty hard to write something that wouldn't earn Meryl Streep an Oscar. Yeah, you're right. 
Oh, no, wait. What was that movie she was just in where she was like an old guitar lady in a band? <laughs> that did. That was a movie. What was that? The I old guitar I lady. Think it, I think it was called Old Guitar Lady. <laughs> While my guitar gently weeps for the Oscar that this film will not win, is mm-hmm. what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, this book, though, I don't, I don't, still don't think I said it, was recommended to us by ellen a patreon donor we'll tell we'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end of the show but that that's how i heard of it and i otherwise would never have heard of this book (laughs) yeah because she's i mean she's really well known and well respected and hungry and there are circles i think in the english-speaking world Mm -hmm. that recognize her importance but she's not she's not been canonized the way that um that some writers have been um uh, Marquez is one, I think, who's sure. primarily published in another language who is like really big. Um, whoever that Steve Larson or whoever he was who wrote those girl with whatever tattoo. Oh, yeah, books. those tattoo books. Yeah, the tattoo books. Uh, well, even talking about Murakami, right? Who we just yeah. read a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm literally like, I don't know what links all these people except they are authors I can think of who have had their works published into English and have found a big audience because of it. But yeah, I don't think that's happened to the same degree for Zabo. No. And, and this book in particular got its most recent publication in 2015 by the New York review of books. Yes. I believe. Right. Continuing their, um, their quest to <laughs> republish books that people should read, but they haven't there. So yeah. There, yeah. if we opened a publishing wing, for books from other countries, it would mm-hmm. be the New York Review of Books and yeah, older right. books, I guess, from this country too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this this is perhaps now her most widely known book, at least in America. But she uh, kind of struck it big in the forties. Uh, she was writing; she published some poetry, some collections, "The Lamb" and "Return to Man." Uh, which won her Hungarian Hungaria's Bumgardner Prize in 1949. Andrew, what happened in 1949 in Hungary? Um, communism. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. So one thing about that Baumgarten Prize is that it was taken away from her later the same day. Oh, oh, oh okay. And I also what you. That other book of poetry that you said, Return to Man, was the name you had Yeah, for yeah. It. Yeah, the Wikipedia translation is Back to the Human. Yes! Which is maybe a little <laughs> literal. I, yeah. Thanks Google, tra- thanks, Google Translate for providing that translation for us. That's outstanding. Uh, so, yeah, the history of modern hunger. This is a small uh, book report that I've typed up mm-hmm. based on my research. <laughs> Um, Hungary's modern borders were established by the Treaty of Trianon after World War One, and as a result of World War One, uh, Hungary had lost seventy-one percent of its territory and fifty-eight percent of its population. So, uh, yeah, like a lot of the other countries on the losing side of the Great War, uh, things did not go great, which contributed in part <laughs> to World War Two. Um. After World War Two, Soviet troops occupied Hungary and. That led directly to, I guess, sort of Stalinist um, Mm -hmm. communist dictatorship Mm -hmm. established in 1947 under this guy, Matias Rakoshi, who ruled from 49 to 56. And he really pushed like industrialization and a bunch of other stuff and living standards declined really steeply under his leadership. So note that 49, the year that he 
takes power effectively is the same year that uh, Zabo received and unreceived her oh, bomb guard no. prize. Um, so Stalin dies in 53. Um, Hungary is part of the Eastern Bloc, which is uh, it's not it, it's like an affiliated group of of nations uh, to the like a satellite group of nations to the USSR, like, Ru- like Russian groupie states. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, groupie states. Uh, they really should have used groupie states instead of satellite <laughs> states as the name that we called them. Uh, so they're the groupie states to the USSR. <laughs> Stalin dies in '53 um, as a result of how poorly things were going in Hungary. There were revolutions in 1956, um, and the deal with the with the Eastern Bloc is that, you know, they weren't, it wasn't Russia. Like Russia didn't control them directly, but if there were challenges to, um, to socialism in any of those States where the policy was to intervene and intervene, Russia did, um, 2,500 Hungarians were killed in these 1956, uh, uprisings. Um, many, many thousands more were arrested and imprisoned and around a fifth or a quarter of a million people fled the country in the brief, you know, the instant where its borders were open. Oh, so, not cool. Not great for Hungary. And that's that's most of what I researched because that's kind of the the period that we're talking about with Zabo. I mean, yes. And I, I wanted to get a clear picture of this because. While this book is, I would not call this book political in any way, I feel like uh, it accesses that type of reality um, or or those political realities uh, in a way that a lot of European books do that I think is a little more elegant than I find in some American writers where Mm -hmm. there's just a... I can't even imagine like living in a country who's had its borders drawn and redrawn multiple times. Yeah, and, like, like within my lifetime. Yeah, uh, am I? Are we living in a groupie state? Are we in a free state? Like, what's the deal? Oh, are we in some other guy's free state? Like, who mm-hmm. who are we groupies for now? Like, which yeah. band do we like? It's and really to- <laughs> confusing. And to give some context, you said this book was published in eighty seven. Eighty seven, correct. Um, so by the late eighties, um, this is we're getting into like Gorbachev now. Um, the Soviet system is circling the drain a little bit. Mm-hmm. The country didn't have the resources to intervene in affairs of Eastern Bloc countries anymore. And so as a result, they were increasingly independent and kind of just left to uh, their own affairs. So, yeah, that this book would have been published in that period. And then by 89, Hungary had opened its borders with Austria. And that's kind of the beginning of the end for the Eastern blocker, if, if not the beginning of the end, then like one of the things that led to its kind of dissolution as a, as a group of countries. Sure. As we knew them in the middle, mid 20th century. Yeah, I'm not a historian. I'm doing my best. Though. I, here's my, what, here's when I first encountered the, uh, the idea of the Eastern block and like Soviet countries in Europe. Mm-hmm. I had the comedy stylings of Yakov no. Smirnov. <laughs> I had in Soviet Russia. <laughs> book reads you. Stop. Oh man, I had a Nintendo game called World Cup Soccer 
and I don't know when it was published, <laughs> but there were two teams, West Germany and East Germany. Okay, so definitely like before the 90s. Yeah, and I yeah. just, <laughs> but like I was young enough that I didn't actually know what that meant. It was just real confusing. There, just, there, there were just two, two countries. Germanies. Yeah, two Germanies. What's like North Dakota about? and South Dakota. <laughs> those are two warring nations. Yeah, when are, those states, when are those states going to resolve their differences? <laughs> just get back to Dakota, please. Yeah. But so it's, I thank you for doing that research, Andrew, because while it's not like this book is not uh, pouring through those details, it is clearly written by someone who lived through most of them. Right, and in interviews, uh, Zabo apparently called this book a thinly veiled personal history. So. Yes, to to the point where the main character is not named, and the closest that she does come to being named is like a pet name variation on Magda that one of the other characters speaks at like a pivotal moment. And yeah, when you when you read it. when you read about the book at all, the main character is just referred to as Magda. For- yeah. <laughs> convenience's sake yeah uh and it was written five years or published five years after uh zabo's husband passed uh her husband his name i i don't know if i should try to pronounce it his last name looks like zabatka um i think his first name was tibor or tibor i'm not sure he was tibor is tibor is good yeah uh he was a tolkien translator andrew Oh, nice. Into Hungarian, I assume? I would, I would assume. No, yeah. from Elvish into English. From the, from the original Elvish. And then back to Hungarian. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he had recently passed, and her relationship with her, the main character's relationship with her husband does factor into this book. I, I don't know uh, how much of that is like part and parcel with their actual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seem kind of just interesting how autobiographical this book is um so let's just dive in i guess that sounds yeah, good to let's you do it. yeah sounds great so the book takes place in the 60s and 70s 1960s and 70s um it's one of those things where it takes place in budapest and i don't quite it takes a little time for me as an american reader to adjust to like what time period it might be because every, um, all the touchstones are different. All the touchstones are different. And so, you know, depending on what the architecture is or the way that the just the layout of the city is being described in my head, like I'm seeing films I watched in French class and like villages <laughs> and stuff. And like, that's not correct. Uh, so there's a little bit of that just cultural hurdle for me that I was kind of checking as, as I got through the book. Yeah. And I sort of, I sort of wonder how much that has to do with why her books haven't been so like comprehensively translated into English. Is this like, is it really good work that requires too much like knowledge of, of local context to really fully appreciate? Or is that what, what did you, what was your impression on that front of this book? I don't think so. Uh, I, the main relationship is between the author Magda, we'll call her mm-hmm. and a woman named Emerence who is a housekeeper, an older woman um, who other, who lives alone and becomes the uh, caretaker for Magda and her husband. And it is like, 
through and through the book kind of feels like a tone poem it just kind of is a meditation on uh what it is to learn about this weird old lady who starts working for you like and their relationship is the crux of the book and there are things that happen we'll talk about what happens but it is certainly not a pot boiler it is certainly okay. not a like there are some minor mysteries and secrets that get revealed but it it is not about it 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 has higher aspirations than uh pulp in that regard um and and it is not out there to be like remember this thing that happened and remember this part of the revolution and remember this even though certain characters obviously know what those things were yeah and maybe you wouldn't have to go like oh remember this remember this like remember this thing that we all went through it was probably there's some, probably some <laughs> knowledge of it that's just assumed yeah um so the book opens after all of this has happened like there is a retrospective element to the book and the main character is an author who uh is telling the story of a thing that happened to her. And the book opens with this terrible dream that she often has where she is kind of trapped um, behind a door. Um, Through the glass, I can make out the shimmering silhouettes of the paramedics distorted to unnatural size, their swollen faces haloed like moons. The key turns, but my efforts are in vain. I cannot open the door. Of course, that's that's the name of the book. Um, Right. We hit. We found the title. Well, we found we it. Did it. <laughs> that's, a, that's that's the only reason anybody reads books is to find out why it's called what it's called. <laughs> How is is the book ever precious about being written by a writer about a writer? Because we've run into that in books before. <gasps> where, I actually where oh, authors yeah. try to get all cute about like peeling back the curtain and letting everybody look look back there and see their mess, no. <laughs> backstage <laughs> mess. No, I actually think. We'll get into this a little bit. Um, the character Emerence does such a good job of looking down on writing <laughs> uh, throughout the book that I think there's a there's a guilt or at least a uh, self awareness self awareness and um, a recognition that sometimes maybe this craft is not it, it doesn't touch everyone in the way that people who write assume that okay. it does. It's good uh, that she's aware of that. And and just I, in general, it's good. Yeah. Well, and I, this <laughs> this book came, you know, when she was seventy, I guess, right? So I imagine she learned some stuff by this. She probably couldn't have written this book in her thirties. How about that? And she, yeah, she probably heard every reaction to, "Oh, you're a writer." To the, the anybody <laughs> could ever muster. Um, she says at the end of the first chapter. Uh, This book is not written for God, who knows the secrets of my heart, nor for the shades of the all-seeing dead who witnessed both my waking life and my dreams. I write for other people. Thus far, I have lived my life with courage, and I hope to die that way, bravely and without lies. But for that to be, I must speak out. I killed Emerence. The fact that I was trying to save her rather than destroy her changes nothing. So, right away, you're like, who's this lady? How did this old lady die? Didn't Craig say this wasn't a pot boiler? What's going on? <laughs> what is going on? Tell me more. Tell me more about what's going on. I need to find out how to th- how this person died now. Yeah, well, that's really what you got to get to, right? So, who is who is Emirates? Well, she is an older woman who's living in this on this street in Budapest. She lives in an apartment building all by herself. And when the author and her husband 
move to this apartment. They're they're moving to a larger apartment than they've had before. Um, her husband has been dealing with some health issues. I think they've been married 35 years or 30 years at the time of this book. For a while. It's a, a good number. Um, and the book spans approximately 20 years. So may, maybe I'm actually tossing in that 35 when it comes a little bit later in the book. But regardless. They've been together for a while. She is coming out, the author that is, is coming out of this uh, political, I think she calls it like frozenness or something like that, freezing, where now she can start writing again. She's getting a lot of commissions. Her husband doesn't seem to work. And if he does, it's kind of scattered because he's been dealing with health issues and it's been hard for him. So they're really well, reliant. That, that goes back to that goes back to Zabo's um, biography, where she, yeah, the the same year she got that prize taken away from her, she was also uh, let go from the Ministry of Religion and Education mm. where she worked, and um, her husband had also become unemployed because of political reasons, and so she was she had to work as a school teacher for a while, and then um, yeah, I guess later on the government started letting her publish stuff again, like after the revolutions and everything. But there were several years in there where just she was not allowed to be published. Yes. And her husband couldn't find work either. So again, tying in with the late, the loose um, biographical elements that we already know this book is bringing to the table. Yes. Um, So now that she's able to write and her writing will be the main source of income for them, uh, she has to be able to write and she has to have time to do it. And one of the things that they have to do, which they've never had to concern themselves with before, is to get a proper caretaker uh, for them. And someone recommends them to this woman, Emirates, who is uh, recommend- <laughs> like is kind of pitched as uh, like a super nanny of a kind. Like she's n- it's not like Mrs. Dowfire. It's not like that. It's not, there's no, like, woman trying to get, who's actually a man trying to get back in touch with her kids. One of them is uh, Matilda. But it's a woman. (laughs) Do you think in the years after Mrs. Doubtfire came out that there was, like, a rash of crime, of Mrs. Mrs. Doubtfire-inspired crime (laughs) with estranged husbands trying to get back in touch with their kids by becoming nannies it's possible right i feel like it's gotta be i mean how like many of them all, had yeah. harvey firestein making rubber masks for them though <laughs> right because I, I don't know only the people, rich ones i guess people seem to forget about the protracted harvey firestein scenes in that movie many of which involved him uh like just laying latex all over our William's face. Never forget. Never forget Harvey. Never Firestein. forget the Harvey Firestein. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it's not. It has nothing to do with Mrs. Doubtfire, and we shouldn't talk for ten more minutes about Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, if that's you the, wanted that's the subtext that I'm getting from what you're saying. Yeah, if you wanted to, though. No, I'm good. Okay, great. Um, okay. So what you find out is that Emerence is she's an odd bird. She keeps to herself. She's an odd bird. She's a woman. She keeps to herself. <laughs> she's a bird in she's, disguise. She's a bird dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire too. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of conflicting like reports about what her deal is, and part of that is she is a recluse. 
in in a couple of capacities. Like no one is allowed inside her house. She had she has the door. The door is there, and no one goes past it. Right. Um, there are reports from a handyman that a cat lives in there. Um, so really there- juicy tidbit, <laughs> handyman. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, there are reports that she might have like stolen goods from a Jewish family that she once worked for, the Grossmans, and they ran away during you know the forties and. Maybe she has some of their stuff that they gave it to her because she did a good job or she stole it. People don't really know. Um, <laughs> they they enlist her work. They enlist her to, to come and work for them. And she kind of hires them. There's a there. It takes a week for her to accept the position. And she's clearly spent that week like scoping them out and like yeah. making sure that they're good people. Well, because, you know. In Soviet Russia, nanny <laughs> nanny hires you. Okay, okay. Uh, quickly, they find out that Emirates is not just your average nanny. Like sometimes, some days she won't even show up. Like some days she just won't come by. But okay. then it's like eleven o'clock at night, and she's in your house cleaning all your dishes and leaving you like lunch in the fridge. So she'll get to it eventually. She'll get there. And then some days you'll like want to take a bath, but all of your rugs are being washed in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real thing that she does. You can't use the bathroom right now. The rugs are using it. Uh, she's also apparently super humanly strong. Like she lifts stuff all the time that's like way too heavy for her. She works. I, people don't know if she sleeps. She doesn't own a bed. If she does sleep, it's with naps on a love seat. Okay. Uh, which a fun like bit of translation, it's referred to as a lover's seat, the whole Ooh. book, which just Ooh. feels a little extra, you know. Ooh, it's, it's making subtext into text. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, and she also like sweeps all over town, like she sweeps like 11 different uh houses porches especially when it snows she will spend like hours on end like clearing uh the street and clearing houses and it's not clear if if all those people pay her to do that um though it is understood that she lives in the apartment she does uh because of the work that she does so if she were to lose her position or if someone else were to take her position she would not have a place to stay okay there's a whole like backstory about the cat that she owns that gets told like secondhand to Magna where some guy had a pigeon and the cat ate the pigeon and the guy rolled up and was like hey your cat killed my bird and she's like well um, that's what cats do they are not university professors that will listen to reason and they will do what cats do so that's true I found that to be true of cats (laughs) Not university professors. No. Uh, so he kills her cat. And then <laughs> Jeez. She, the she buries it. And the community kind of rallies around her as he tries to blame her for killing all of her other pigeon, all of his other pigeons. Um, and eventually, like, he gets run out of town on a rail. Um, and this is where the, the author learns that she has a really good... 
long-standing friendship with the lieutenant colonel in town, okay. um, the policeman in town. She's got a really small circle of folks. Like she's got three other old women that she hangs out with: uh, Adelka, Paulette, and Zutu. And then she has her nephew, her who is often referred to as my brother jo- Josie's son. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm not I actually don't recall if his name is ever used. <laughs> He's often referred to as the nephew mm-hmm. or brother Josie's son. Mm-hmm. Um and so she's living this solitary life and starts to after four or five years, it is made clear, um, kind of let this new couple kind of get to her. Um get to her how? It <sighs> What do you like, mean when you say get to her? Because that's a, that's a weird phrasing to pick, mm, I think. Sure. Um, care about them in a way that is not just like, uh, oh, I work for them. Okay. Right. Yeah, I'm uh, getting like my my head canon for this character at this point is that she's obviously a robot. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh-huh. And so these, yeah, these these human characters have gotten into her circuits and she's not sure like her subroutines shouldn't allow her to feel this way about them but she somehow (laughs) does anyway well and like every robot that we've grown to love she's she's not like the best at human interaction Mm -hmm. or predictable human interaction Mm -hmm. um at one point during the first winter that she's around uh, Magda says to her, you know, is talking with her husband about whether or not they can give her like a tip for all the snow sweeping that she's doing, and she won't accept anything. And she says the old woman was interested only in giving, and if anyone tried to surprise her with something, she never smiled. She flew into a rage. Whoa! And there's a Christmas, a couple, a couple Christmases into the book, the author tries to give her like a portable television, uh, like here, relax. Like ha- this is a rare thing for this part, this neighborhood, and not a lot of people have this. Like here, have a TV and relax. Mm-hmm. And that night, it's like crazy snowing outside, and Magda's like in inside, like watching Christmas TV, and she can see Emrins out there like sweeping up all the snow, and she just gets real guilty because she realizes that that lady doesn't have time for TV. Like you just gave her a crappy gift. By saying, here, have leisure. I feel like she can make time for TV, though. Like, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe she's upset that the t- she considers TV to be, like, her cousin. <laughs> and when you give her a TV, you're really just insulting her robot heritage. <laughs> it's possible. But the book kind of unfolds as a series of events where Magna and... Uh, Emirates embark on some sort of like some sort of activity happens some sort of event occurs and they try to like interact like people and do what they think is right in that given scenario clearly one of them is very wrong or they're both wrong and then they like have a big fight and then they make up because they're I think their love languages aren't the same Andrew mm-hmm. do you know about the love languages I know that love languages are a thing. Now, I don't know what kind of love language a robot would have. You're Stuff really like you grinding a, on this robot train, aren't you? You've not given me any evidence to the contrary. I think like a love language for a robot would be like, here's a bigger hard drive. 
How do you express love, Andrew? You're a robot. I like I mostly it's mostly through material possessions because those can be quantified in ones and zeros because they can be quantified in ones and zeros. And also, I don't know, like I uh, I don't think either of us had tons of money. Like you talked about this. Yeah, 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 we've talked about it a bunch of times. It's not like we had no money at all, but also just like buying stuff for people for no reason was not a thing that we could really do. And so I like being able to do it now. That's basically my thing. Yes. Uh, I think mine is, uh, there's a, it like touches part of it. Like I'm a big hugger. Ooh. Yeah. I tried to make it not dirty right away. Yeah. But you said touch. You could have said like hugging, but you picked (sighs) the most sexual word. Now come sit on the lover's seat with me. And mostly just that, like... Let's touch each other on the uh, You ruined it. I'm trying to use the real love language words, and that's the my love. I my know. love language is also trolling. <laughs> is, yeah, it's Trolling like, people who I'm comfortable enough with to troll a little that's, bit. That's true. Mm-hmm. And, and I bring this up because I'm going to... I don't want to talk about my love language Wait, anymore. were you going to tell me any more about... No, tell me more. No, I want to know. I no, don't want to know. Touching people and what else? <laughs> Just slapping people, <laughs> high fiving, you know. Yeah, and t- tickle fights. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Back rubs. Yeah, that's those are all kinds of touching. Are, are there other kinds? I've, of I've, languages. I think there is. Uh, there are words in my language I haven't yet discovered, Andrew. Okay, but what other what else is your love language? Now I want to know. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about the book now. I think No, no, gonna... come on. You started this love language thing. I don't I I told you mine, which is gifts and trolling. <laughs> <laughs> what is usually like, "Hey, I am next to you in space," like a uh, hand on the back or uh long car rides is like, "Yep, yeah, my we're going to well, holding hands is unsafe in the car." But like yeah, ten and two, like right. Thelma and Louise. Am I right? <laughs> um, but like, if you're just sitting next to someone that you care about, and this is specifically in a committed relationship, but like a hand on the thigh or an arm around the shoulder, it's like that to me is is I don't need I don't need words as much as I need just like we are just to grope at people. Yeah, <laughs> we are intimate enough with each other as like humans that we could just grope at each other without any sort of problems is this like cool on each other should keep all of this in the show i think (laughs) my love language is heavy petting that's really what i'm saying it's pretty you you take it pretty literally and everyone who's close to you has just kind of gotten used to it (laughs) have you met craig he can't keep his hands to himself did he touch your butt he touched my butt a lot Like you, a lot. Have you met Craig Getting? Craig like Getting handsy, lot. am I right? Yeah. Oh my god. Oh man, he's a real nice guy, but stay, keep a like, distance. Leave yeah. room for Jesus in that friendship, am I right? Jesus, leave. Wow, leave room for like three Jesuses. <laughs> when there was one set of footprints in the sand, that's oh, <laughs> where Craig touched me, and I went away. Let's talk about this book, I guess. Mm-hmm. As I was saying, they have different love languages. <laughs> they have different expectations of their relationship over time. And four or five years in, uh, Magda's husband falls really ill. He has like a pulmonary abscess. He has to go into the hospital. It's pretty rough. And 
she doesn't really tell anyone about it. They just go to the hospital. They come back. Her husband's still there, and she was there for like six a six hour operation. She's exhausted, and Emerence comes in and is pissed. She's like, "Why didn't you tell me this was happening? Like, I'm an important part of your life, and you left me out of this thing." And they fight about it because I don't know. The book is kind of unpacking this, like, what is their relationship? Who are they to each other? And you think it's just like, oh, I am hiring you to be in my life and pick up after me, uh, which is not a relationship. I know what that is. I don't, I've never uh, had anyone in my life whose job that is. Um, I've I've resolved to not do that. I feel like that would be like too far from my, my roots. It would make me feel bad to have a person like I. There are some people I know who like clean up for the maid that they've hired because they don't want to be like embarrassed by how messy their stuff is. That's like I just am not going to I'm going to cut out the middle person. I I do have a friend of mine just who just clean my own stuff who has two young daughters and when her and her husband uh had their first daughter they were like we got to get someone. And from from what their life schedule is um they feel like that's been very helpful to them because they, the time that they would spend cleaning up is time that they actually have um, to be with their Oh, kids. yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's it's totally, like, normal to – or not normal is probably not a good word. It's totally, like, accepted yes. in society to hire childcare and stuff. And really, you're just – you're still hiring labor. You're just changing what the labor is. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's all on a sliding scale, but I don't personally like. I remember the one friend of mine as a kid whose family had a maid, and it was right. weird. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. to me, it was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so Emerence flips out that she was not included in this thing, and they have a big fight. And Magda goes to sleep, and she's like woken in the middle of the night. And Emerence is like, it, she has a key to the house, so she didn't break in, but she like rushes in the bedroom, and she has a goblet of mold wine, and is like, drink this. You're, you need to feel better. Drink this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she like shares a big story from her life about uh, how she lost her two younger, uh, her two younger siblings as a kid. And it explains this bizarre phobia of Emerence's, which is that she's afraid of like lightning storms. And they remark on it a couple times early in the book. And it's, because her uh, two younger siblings were killed in like a lightning strike, which is like okay. Because their their circuits got fried. No, they weren't robots. <laughs> they were children. Um, and this also introduces uh, Emerence's like estranged relationship with her family. They're in a town f- a little far away that we don't speak. Like once the name is said, like Emerence doesn't ever say the name again. Mm-hmm. And her goal is to like save up all her money um, and what in- little inherent- inheritance she's due to get and buy a proper crypt for her family um, because the patriarch of her family is kind of letting that go to waste and she wants all of her people to have a, a solid place to rest. Mm-hmm. So you like the the pare- the cycle of this book is interesting event that might lead to them knowing each as I said before big big row and then some sort of revealing story whereby we learn a new tidbit about Emerence or explains a previous behavior. They get a dog at one point 
which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you this, like dogs. I like dogs. Uh, this dog sort of has some like Marmaduke qualities to it. <laughs> more like as the book goes on, it is spoken to and about more and more like it is a human. Um, and that is because even though Magda and her husband find it in the snow, like buried up to its neck, like it's going to die, Emerence ends up taking care of it and it basically treats her like it's uh like its owner for the rest of their lives okay um sh- they give it like a cool french name and she's like no its name is viola <laughs> that's its name now uh and that leads me into the the other episode that is probably worth discussing which is again there's you know viola ha- not viola emerence uh, is acting a little weird. She doesn't show up for a couple of days. All right, cool, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. And she shows up at the door, and she's like, "I need a favor. I need you to let me host someone here at your house, and I need you to say that we're family and that this is where I live, and that things are great." <laughs> this sounds like a classic caper. It's a pretty classic caper. Uh, and of course, they get in a fight about it because Emerence is like she brought all this cool food. She's really good at cooking. Who knows where she does all her cooking in her tiny closed door house? Um, and she sets up the dining room real nice. She, she actually uses um, the room where Magna has put a lot of the stuff of her mother's and her parents have passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and. <laughs> Perhaps unadvisedly, inadvisedly, during this moment, Magda's like, hey, Emerence, have you ever thought about, like, seeing a doctor about your, just, like, your stuff? What kind of doctor are we talking about at this point? Like, a brain doctor or a That's physician doctor? The the a brain doctor. The implication is, you don't let anyone inside your house. Anytime someone comes to your house and knocks on the door... You, like, peek around the door like it's a Scooby-Doo episode and then, like, (laughs) entertain them on the porch summer or winter, rain or shine. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe you should talk to someone about that. And perhaps rightfully so, Emirates flips out and is like, don't, why would, things are fine. Yeah, don't tell me how to live live my life. Don't tell me how to live my life. I don't want people to see my charging station. Like, what do you, But I do need you to pretend to be my relative while I host this visitor that I'm not explaining. Like, it's cool, 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 cool. Yeah, I know my boss is coming home from work and I need to cook him a big roast. Well, of course, what happens is... It's like a Honeymooners episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The visitor never shows up. Magna's all pissed because she, like, canceled all her appointments for the day. And, of course, Eberance is pissed because the person never showed. And Magda hears, like, all this cursing and stuff going on in the other room. She goes in there, and Emerence has just, like, given all the food to Viola, who is, like, eating it off of, like, at like sitting in the chair like a human. Mm-hmm. Eating very Mar- it. Marmaduke-esque. Very Marmaduke-esque. Like, oh, look what he did this time. He's a person. Just he thinks go he's a person. into town on the beef. And Magda gets really pissed and, like, t- yells at Emerence and tells her to get out of there. Later, of course, like, she says to her husband, like, that's crazy. Like, why does she do that? What He's like, she's, why don't, whatever. 
she's an old lady. She's got old lady things that she's going to do. <laughs> and like, I don't, you should like go take that food back to her. Like what's left of it. Like, I'm not going to eat her sad visitor didn't show up food. Like you should take it back to her. And so of course uh, she does that and it pisses Emerence off more. And there's like a protracted scene where you can hear Emerence behind her closed door, like flushing it all down the toilet and like being real upset. Jeez. And then in the middle of the night, Bogna shows up with the dog and says, like, hey, have you gotten anything to eat? And, like, becomes the surrogate visitor for her. And there's this, like, really touching moment between the two of them. Okay. Um, and, again, like, these things happen and you you get a little – another little nugget about her past. Wait, so how does she die? Like, t- take me to the end game. I'll take you to the end game. Um it's she gets sick later in the book, and this is where the book uh, is stops. It, is it she gets a virus? No, some she, kind of virus. Oh my good god! Oh, yeah, I walked right into it. Oh man, mm-hmm. she didn't update any of her Mac she didn't up, stuff. She didn't update her software. Oh no, she was running the old firmware. There there was a joke earlier that I skipped about her and her family just running different operating systems oh, and not, not getting along. The, uh, but I'm trying to like pick and choose my targets here. Okay, so she gets a virus. She gets a virus. She doesn't have the updated definitions. She had overclocked her processor as she was that's a thing you can do for computers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, she was doing it so she could sweep more sidewalks. Yeah, because the the winter was crazy, and she caught mm. she caught a virus. She, she caught, got a, she got a virus. She caught pneumonia. <laughs> and, uh, she pneumonia dot trojan dot win thirty two. Oh my god! <laughs> Just trying to download some Game of Thrones over here. I didn't realize. Um, she she kind of goes into hiding. She goes into her house, and at this point in the book. Magda knows what's in there. Magda knows what's behind the door. And I it's not I don't think I want to spoil it. I also don't think if I accidentally spoil it in the next 10 minutes it's going to be a huge deal, but nonetheless, Magna has been invited into that house at least once. She is keeping a secret for for Emerence and the the fact that Emerence has gone into hiding behind that door what she's going to do about it if this woman dies or falls ill or needs care. This becomes like a little crucible of a situation that otherwise doesn't exist in this book from a like all these plot points are like running together um, in a way like the tension gets ratcheted up is what I'm saying. Okay. So she gets sick and everyone's like, what are we going to do? She could be dying in there. No one's seen her in two weeks. Some of the people in the apartment building are a little worried about smells. Like we got to, we got to go in there and get her. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, what's happening is Magda is receiving this really important literary prize for her work. Her, she's been writing books. She's been writing screenplays for movies. Um, she's very successful. She's won this crazy award, um, which I presume is like an analog for the Baumgarten Award or something like it. This is coinciding with the time when Emerence needs her most. And she comes up with this crazy scheme that the doctor and some other folks are going to go with her to Emerence's door. She's going to knock on it and, like, ask her if she can help out with one part of the secret 
that Emirates knows she knows, and then people are just going to rush in there and grab her. And this, go- it happens, but of course the dude waiting to take her to where she's going to get her, like, talk about her prize on national television is, like, waiting in the car. And it's so heartbreaking and tough for Magda that she just, like, flings open the door, lets the doctor run in, and then just, like, books it out of there, mm-hmm. which could not be the wrong that's could not the most, be wronger. It could not be wronger. Of course, the book continues from there with Emerin's in the hospital and recovering or not, and Magna dealing with the guilt of what she already did. Uh, and Emerin's is like pretending to have amnesia so that she can avoid the shame of whether or not people actually know what was in there mm-hmm. um, before she has a chance to like confirm it with this person who did her immense wrong mm-hmm. and of course got her got her hard drive wiped she got her hard drive well she's pretending she the files are could, she could still undelete the files the files are in the recycle bin she mm-hmm. can access them at any time uh, you can tell because the the icon has the paper it in has it. all the paper and of course emerence asks magda point blank does everyone know? Like, do people know my stuff? And she goes, no, I took care of it, which is a bullface lie. Everyone knows. Wait, have you, have you said what her stuff is, or is that the thing you didn't want to spoil? I don't feel like I need to spoil it. Okay, that's fine. Maybe um, you can tell me off the air. Yeah. Um, I, I will say it's not as crazy as it sounds, uh, and it's not as life-shattering, um, but... It the the fact that you don't know for so long does help the book move. So okay. I don't I don't want to ruin it for people. Sure, yeah. Um, and she lies to her face. Magda lies to her face, and it actually causes Emerin's to recover and get real strong and like ready to go. Um, she did have an embolism in her brain, so her legs don't work. So they're worried about her ability to like survive. Um, but. When she wants to leave the hospital, the doctor tells uh, Magda, "You need to tell her what's up. You need to, you need to tell her the truth." Well, of course, Magda can't do it. She has the lieutenant colonel do it. Uh, she has one more fight with Emirates, <sighs> and then Emirates. Like, I know lying about this was not the source of all your problems in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then Emirates ends up like falling out of the bed because her legs don't work and like having the embolism occur like relapse or, or a similar condition uh, happen to her brain and, and she dies. Um, and Magda tries to do right by her with her passing the maybe stolen, maybe bequeathed furniture um, from the Grossman, from the Jewish Grossman family um, is left to, Magda and when she goes in there to like look at it and inspect it it's so old and uh like worm wooded and rotten that like if she touches one of the armchairs it just like disintegrates Mm. so like the legacy that she was supposed to get from this woman just just like literally disintegrates and disappears right and she's kind of left with this like I didn't do right by this lady. Like she tries to do the funeral right and she and it's okay and she has to hire a replacement and it's unsatisfying. Yeah, um, listen, like by the time you're trying to do the funeral right, like you've already failed. 
Yeah, totally, totally. And the the journey, the arc that leads up to that pivotal moment where she totally bails on her at the door is this fundamental disconnect between Emerence, the salt of the earth, uh, my world is the porches that I sweep, the the people that I have known, and the people that I will take in and care for, versus the author who is portrayed as relatively immature and erratic, um, even though Emerence is erratic in her own way, but the author is very abstract and art and high-minded, and Emerence is there to be like, that's not relevant to me at all. Mm-hmm. Like, that's grown-up child's play. Uh, she takes her to task when she invites Emerence to um, to her movie set, and there's a whole big thing where the helicopter is like flying around the lovers as they have their big scene to make it as if the trees are like spinning around them. And Emerence is like, those trees didn't move at all. That's crazy. Like, that's not real. You say that you're like creating this artistic experience, but like it's all trickery and machinery. That's mm-hmm. not real life. What are you doing? Because that's not what she has experienced, right? You can see in real time as you're reading it, uh, Zabo kind of questioning what she's done vis- vis-a-vis this other person like with her life and and what value it has directly to the day-to-day experiences of of people of different walks of life from sure. her mm-hmm. and and how being that type of person someone who is creative someone who would devote their life to that can fundamentally separate you from people who don't view the world that way who don't think like you mm-hmm. um which is a a sobering thing to hear uh, especially as someone who works in the arts and your your goal all the time is like how do i reach people with what i do i'm i'm trying to tell stories of people from all walks of life etc cetera, etc cetera, and to like run aground on someone who's like but what you do isn't for me yeah so you lose <laughs> like, <laughs> like your your art is moot now um is is a rough thing to run across so I don't know. I feel like I was talking for a while. Is there anything other yeah, than robot no, no, no. It's, questions I, I you want to ask me? I was trying to let you express your thoughts without making a joke about That's about very kind of you. Robots. Okay. Because Emirates obviously is a robot. <laughs> <laughs> and absent any actual spoilers, I'm going to keep proceeding as if that is true. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, tell me more about your reaction to it as an artist. It's almost, I don't know. It's like you, it would be like, like, do you have friends in your life who just have no respect for or patience for like the artifice of art? Uh, no. Well, if, if I don't know if I would call them friends then, um, Ooh. I, you know what I mean? Like if I, if there was someone who that like, who so thoroughly disagreed with, not even like disagreeing and just like not caring. I unfortunately I don't think I have I have as much time. I have, don't have time. You in my just don't life have time in like, your life for people like keep, that. But I do have for people who might challenge your uh, your own preconceived yeah, notions about I know. the work I got that a, you do. Okay, oh cool. my god, I got a oh, cool, cool. God, you know, keep. <laughs> you, why are you being? Oh man, this is we are <laughs> we are Magda and Emerence. I figured it out. This is us. Because I'm a robot and you're, you're an, I'm artist. an artist. Oh my god! Oh god. Let's return to human. Um, <laughs> return the, to the human. Back to the human. Um, 
I think there there are certainly some friends of mine and people I know who are maybe a little more literal minded and are they think about stories differently than I do. And that's always a very educational to me because that means that it's either a, it's a storytelling challenge because how are you going to reach someone who's responding to things that are different from what you're responding to mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, are they interested in the backstories of characters or do they care about the performer versus the character or not? Um, I know that that's something that is when you're on, when you're talking about television, like sometimes, or especially in movies where we know the actors versus just the characters that they play, right. that can get a little dicey. Cause sometimes you're like, Ooh, I don't like that actor at all. But like, that's a cool character mm-hmm. or you conflate the two. And like a character's doing some real nasty stuff. And you're like, oh, I hate that guy. Yeah, right. I hate everything he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have some, I do know some people who are just kind of their relationship to art is different than mine. They don't think about process the same way or they're not concerned with it at all. They're just like, I will intake the story and then have a response to it. And that is that. Or folks who really don't want to unpack stories at all. Like that, and that's a as someone who weekly talks to you, Mister Robot, about stories. Um, it's that's a weird thing to run across. Sure, right? Yeah. I don't know if you have any, if like, do you have a similar like? Is there a thing that we don't? I don't know enough about computers to have like an actual intelligent conversation with you about computers, so we don't often talk about that. But no, I mean, in that way, I think my work and my personal life are are kept separate like partially just by subject matter and partially because i choose to have it be that way just like i don't talk about work like really in depth to a lot of people outside of work and i don't have any really really close friends at work sure sure like there are definitely people who i'm friends with but like we don't typically talk about the nitty-gritty tech stuff while we're while we're out it's just i enjoy that stuff but i also need a break from it a -hmm. lot because otherwise i'll just be thinking about it all the time and i and like i don't know what it is about art like it's just there's enough of it and it's varied enough and a lot of art can serve different like purposes for people mentally but i don't know like you can take a break from your work in art by like interfacing with other kinds of art in other ways that's not really the way that i think of like my tech reporting job (laughs) no like if you there there is certainly something to be gained as a human by you going and watching hamilton but it's not gonna like fundamentally affect how you cover the next phone that comes out sure 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 um so yeah this book is cool i i i there's no way we're gonna cover everything about it that I thought was super cool. There's like the human dog. That's pretty great. Um, human robot. There's the human robot. We talked about that a lot. We talked about that a lot. Um, the, the metaphor of the door and what's behind it is used to good effect without being overused. I think, okay. Um, the language is really, this is a really strong translation. I think it's also cool. And I kind of want to close on this. Like it is an interesting, solid character portrait and the story is really just how can we find out more about this lady about two women from different generations getting to know each other okay um we learn a little bit about romantic history but there's no like 
and then you will and then by sol- by solving your relationship with this woman you will then meet the man of your dreams like no you're married to a guy who's kind of sickly and he factors into a couple plot points uh and that's about that but I otherwise think- we talked about him like not at all so i just assume that he's not super integral she proceedings yeah you know? like she brings him into the story as it is necessary to check that he is there and certainly there are some there are some sections where they talk about whether or not the, their marriage is healthy. Like Emerence accuses Magda of of not standing up for herself and and some taste issues, et cetera, et cetera. But that's really not what the book's about. It's not about learning more about who she is as a as a woman in marriage. It's really just like how do we learn about other people and how do we learn to desire to know more about them than what we get in the first place okay um but then there's a couple moments where like she even checks herself for like wanting to know too much and like what she does with information that she doesn't need to have um also it's cool to read a book that i'd never heard of and think that it's really freaking good yeah (laughs) that's always a wonderful yeah like there's so much stuff that's really great out there that that you would like even that you just can't like there's that you haven't heard of or that maybe you're not even going to run into. That's it's the breadth and depth of of literature. So yeah. So if Meryl Streep is listening, um, you should make this movie. And should make this win. movie instead I mean, I know you're probably really deep into work on old guitar lady two. <laughs> but consider this as your next project. And if anyone else wants to tell us uh, about some books by an Eastern Bloc author that might make a good Meryl Streep film, you can send those to us at OverduePod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media at Facebook.com slash OverduePod and Twitter.com slash OverduePod. We got a lot of really nice messages this week. Um, I know it's been a rough week for a lot of people, and Aaron and I were really thankful for those of you who are just participating in the internet with us in a real positive cool way yeah um i want to thank beware of monsters amanda ellen camille Catherine, ian Brittany, bunbury eric sarah lee amber uh roizen we'll say um robbie graham erica lucas natalie alex alexa uh sandra c hoops uh <laughs> renee ida <laughs> kathleen Fire on the Mound, Melissa, Sophie, uh, Maria, Catherine, Daisy, Melanie, Nashua, Andy, Laura. That last one might have been an autocorrect. I'm sorry. It's fine. Whatever. We're good. Nashua. Andrew, Nashua definitely sounds like a, has a pretty name. Yeah. Andrew, if uh, folks want to learn more about the show, what should they do? Uh, they should go to OverduePodcast.com where we have links to iTunes, Google Play, RSS, Stitcher, all the places you can use to subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe on iTunes, rate and review us. We're really close to 300 ratings. Whoop, whoop. And as we've discussed many times, Craig likes round numbers. Whoop, so whoop. help us get to another round number. Um, we did. We just got to like a thousand Facebook likes. This we're past creeping week. up on it with we're creeping up on it with Twitter. I'm real pumped. Yeah. So we're working on our second thousand. So thank you to everybody who's helped us build that. Um, also on our website, we have links to our the books that we have read and are going to read on Amazon. You can click those and buy those books, and it supports us a little bit. If you'd like to support us in an ongoing fashion and even get a little bit of something back for your support, you can find a link to our Patreon page up there. That's also Patreon patreon.com slash overdue pod 
Um, and if you're donating $5 or more per month, you get to recommend a book that we will bump up to the top of our queue. That queue is really full right now, which is great because it's exposing both of us to stuff that we have never run into before. So that hence the door. Yep. Um, next week, I'm going to be reading a book by Joanne M. Harris called The Gospel of Loki. Yeah. Which is apparently the rise and fall of the Norse gods as told by Loki. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of shade uh, getting thrown, I think. Yeah, looking forward to reading that one. Um, Craig, is there anything else? Our bonus episode for June is going to be out soonish. Um, that's going to be a listener Q&A thing. So thank you to everybody who's gotten questions in. I think we've got a pretty good list. Yeah, um, that's all I got we, right now. Yeah, if we intend to record that one live, you'll be the first to know. We just we had the idea and we haven't talked about the logistics of it. So Whatever. Um, yeah, whatever, exactly. Uh, So we'll be back next week, everybody. And until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.